Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. Well, if you have your Bible or your or your Bible app, you want to open it up to uh, the book of First John, chapter two. How many of you love pancakes? Anybody? You think that pancakes should be the 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 breakfast of champions? All right. Well, there, there was this uh, little guy that was visiting his grandma, and grandma is always a good place to go for pancakes. Because when you have pancakes at home, usually you don't get enough. And, uh, and so this little guy, he was at his grandma's house and he said, he said, Grandma, I love being at your house because when you make pancakes, I get to eat as many as I want. And of course, being grandma, you know, she didn't really care. You know, that's the parents' problem later. But, uh, so she just kept making them, kept making them, kept making them. And he got to his 11th pancake and he just like stopped. And grandma said to him, uh, well, would you like, you know, more pancakes? And he had this kind of grimace on his face. He says, oh, no, grandma, I don't even think I want the ones I ate already. <laughs> you know, we've all been there, right? I mean, we, we just have to have this thing or we get involved in something and, and we, we go overboard a little bit. And then we realize, wow, I've overdone it. And we back off a little bit sometimes, right? Um, well, today we're going to talk a little bit about, as humans, uh, we get to this place where we start to really love things, love things. And John has a word for us this morning. Um, he says in verse 12 and uh, 13, he says, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name, talking about Jesus. And it goes on again in verse 13. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. Now, the point here is that he goes on and he says something to little children. He says something to young people. And then he says something to parents. All stages of life. And the first thing he mentions is that young children. Now, we all start off in our relationship with God as spiritual children. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that you can't really enter into the kingdom unless you become like a little child. Those are Jesus' words. And, and there's all kinds of ramifications and what that really means. It, it is this, we have this innocence, we have this understanding that it's pretty simple to finally realize that um, we can just say yes to being loved by God. I mean, little kids, they, they, they just love people who love them, Right? I mean, they, they kind of run to you. My wife has this magnetic thing that happens when there's children in a room. They just look at her and they go, oh, that's somebody who's going to love me. And whoosh, they just go there. And, and that's the way God is for us. We are just drawn to God through his love. And so that love draws us in. And kids really don't care about anything else. They just know when they are being loved. But there's something else about children. Children are usually guided by their emotions. Now, love is an emotion, right? 
They, they sense that feeling and they are drawn to it. Now, the, uh, the Bible also, when it talks about children, also refers to them as immature. And we can all agree on that. I mean, kids aren't, aren't operating on the same wavelength as a teenager or a full-blown adult, right? That, that they just approach the world a little bit differently. They delight in their experiences. They're quickly excited and easily afraid. And so as spiritual children, we tend to have that, that same leaning. We get easily excited about some things and then we get really afraid about others. And that affects how we do life. What's really interesting is the Bible also says that, that there are certain people who are gifted and appointed to be able to teach children, teach people within the, 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 the faith community to grow up in Christ. In Ephesians 4, it says that, uh, um, that these people are to help followers, quote, become mature, attaining the whole measure, the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants. And here it is tossed back and forth like with the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful schemes. That's interesting that he uses the word men instead of Satan. That, I don't know about you, but people have led me astray. I remember when I was a little kid, you know, my dad says, don't hang around this kid because every time you hang around him, you get in trouble. And it was true. I look back and I go, yeah, I was just always following his lead and he was leading me right into trouble all the time. I don't know if that's ever happened to you before. Maybe you're the one who was, you know, kind of directing the traffic and causing other people to sin. Um, I remember one time uh, we were told uh, not to go out on Halloween. And uh, um, there was the year before someone had thrown a water balloon and hit a car and the car window smashed and crashed and, and the person was really hurt. And so in Visalia, way back, they, they said, no water balloons throwing at cars. If you do, you'll be, you'll be taken to jail. And uh, so we go, all right, we get that. You know, we understand you're not supposed to throw water balloons at cars. So I invited my best friend over and we had another kid staying with us. He was a missionary kid just finishing up his senior year in high school. And um, so he was staying with us. He's a really mild-mannered kid. And, and so I invited Glenn, my buddy, over uh, for, for Halloween night. And his dad really never let Glenn out on Halloween night because he would always get in trouble. And I made a stack of promises. No, we're going to be good boys. You know, we're, we're good Christian young men. We're not going to get in a lot of trouble. And so we went out to just kind of peruse what was going on in the, in the area. And all of a sudden, um, one of our groups of friends from high school were in this red Ford pickup and they were just dashing around the town all over the place, you know, around our neighborhood. And they were, weren't doing anything except throwing water balloons at kids who were in costumes. And we thought, man, this is terrible. And see, they weren't throwing water balloons at cars. They were throwing water balloons from a car at kids. So I guess that they thought that was okay. Well, you know, with righteous indignation, I, I said to Glenn and and my other buddy, he said, uh, said, well, you know what we got to do? We got to get these guys because, you know, we, we need to be like Robin Hood. Look out for the poor, you know, and the downtrodden, and you'll get this right. So we got a bunch of water balloons. And, and, we, and I, said, I told him, I said, now, you know the, 
they said we can't throw water balloons at cars, but we're not throwing it at a car. We're throwing it at the guys in the car, okay? A whole different scenario. And so we did that, and it was it was a blast. It really was. It was total fun. If you ever have a chance, you know. Um, but the, we got down to one water balloon. And my, my other buddy, Dave, he was holding it, and, and our guys were they were coming around the corner and we had one last shot at them you know and stuff and they zoomed by and dave was kind of slow and he didn't get it off right and so we just took off running because the guys they flipped their car around and they were coming after us so so my buddy glenn's running then i'm running and then dave he just he doesn't know what to, know what, what to do with the balloon and so he just kind of launches it into the roadway just to get rid of it unfortunately suddenly there were lights and sirens because when he launched that balloon innocently into the roadway, he hit a cop car. <laughs> All right? He hit a cop car. And so here, now hot pursuit. Dave starts running, and we are just a half a block from my house, and so Glenn was the fastest. He always already hit the front door. Hit the front door, ran through the living room. My mom's there, you know, kind of, what was, what was that? And my brother, you know, he's going like, whoa. And out the kitchen door into the backyard to get away from the police, right? And so here I come, bust open the door, pass my mom, you know, and do the same thing. And then here's Dave. And then here comes a cop through our front door, right past my mom. About this time, she's going like, okay, something might be wrong, you know? So we're out in the, all in the backyard, you know, and I think Glenn was up a tree. I was over the fence and, and Dave was just kind of, I don't know what to do. And the police came around here and around here and they took us, marched us out to the front of the house. And my mom and her fuzzy slippers are going like, yo, what's going on? They took Dave and they put him in the police car. Yeah, they did. And, uh, they didn't take us because they didn't see us throw a balloon. But here, you know, my, my friend's going to jail, right? Of course, my brother says, could you please take them too? You know, I mean, he, he really wanted us to go too. But uh, all that to say, all that to say that it's easy to finally find yourself slipped into sin because you followed the lead of somebody and it was fun, right? And so... John is here telling us that we've got a scenario where we've got to watch out that no matter what stage of development we are, a child, a youth, an adult, we've got to watch ourselves because we can, be, we can slide into sin pretty easily. John goes on, he says that some Christians are like young men. Uh, in verse 13 and 14, he says, I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you. What's interesting here, he's graduating from children who are, are kind of run by their emotions. And then he talks about young people. He calls them young men, but it's really generic for, you know, young people. You get to that next stage of life. And it's interesting that the the battle between, you know, the things that are wrong and the things that are right are actually helped by the word of God. Right. He's reminding these young people, he says, now you've overcome Satan because you are in the word. You're implementing what we have told you Jesus' teachings are. And so because of that, then you are, you are overcoming Satan. He says, you are strong and the word of God lives in you because now you've overcome the evil one. 
So as a person grows in their maturity in, in Christ, where, where does that maturity come from? It comes from the word of God being implemented in your life. So when those when those temptations come or when that person comes along and says, oh, this is OK, don't worry about it, you'll be fine. You can go to the word of God and say, you know what, it doesn't line up with God's word. And so that word of God gives you that strength. And so that this this person kind of in the middle of life with uh, with Christ is saying, I've got to get deeper and deeper into God's word. But what's really interesting is the next level. You think, well, that's a pretty good level to be at. You know, if I know God's word, I can fight off all these things that, that Satan tempts me with and the world tempts me with. But there's a whole other level. He says that some Christians are like spiritual father or, or the word there is parents, pateras. It says you can you can mature in your Christian faith to that point to where you are like a parent. In, the, in that he says, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, fathers or parents, because you have known him who is from the beginning. This is repeated twice. And notice there, there, there's nothing about anything except the relationship. That once you, once you, you get beyond kind of that emotional Christianity, the highs, the lows, all that emotionalism, then you get into the place where you're reading God's word, you're trying to put it into your life, but then there's a whole next level to where you realize that everything, everything really centers around your personal relationship with God the Father. It's, it's what I call the with, all right? Jesus came to be with us, right? God with us. It's the incarnation. Why did did God create Adam and Eve in the first place? Because he wanted someone to be with, to just love, to experience. And God knows that the more that you fall deeply in love with God, what's the great commandment? First one, love God. Love God with all your heart, strength, everything that you have, all, all of you, love God. And once you fall deeply in love with God, then you get it. Because all the, all the, the, the commandments, all the teachings, Jesus says everything is built on this one idea. Love for God. Love for God, and then he includes love for people. And the most mature Christians that I know are people that have that deep, deep, deep love for God. Some people mistake Bible study as like the penultimate thing. It's good and it's necessary and we need to keep doing that. But if it doesn't lead us to that point to where we fall deeply in love with God, you know, we're, we're so intent on parsing words and, and getting everything right, 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 right. And understand that, you know, as humans, we're never going to understand everything fully and completely. How many different denominations and churches are that have the different slants on how to interpret the Bible, right? So who's right? You know who's really right? The person that can sit with somebody that has a different opinion or a different idea and still love them. Because they, they've fallen in love with God so deeply, they're so deeply indebted to God's grace in their life that they're not willing or able to judge anybody. It's not their, not their place. 
And so what we do is we, we strive for getting past being a childlike Christian and even a, a youthful Christian who is, loves God's word. But we want to get to that place to where we love God so much that it directs all of our activity, all of our relationships. Now, he gets this place in, in verse 15, and here is the interesting passage. It says this. It says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What does that mean? Now, first of all, you have to understand that it's direct. this comment is directed at all three stages. Okay? Children, youth, and parents. So we never grow out of the, the possibility that we replace our love for God with something else. That we think that there's some, some, some stash of something that if we get this into our life, that we're going to be fulfilled. You see, the ultimate goal is to get to that place where we really understand and believe with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength that God is our everything. That's where the satisfaction in life really, really, really is. If we start to believe and start to fall in love with something else to replace that deep, deep, deep abiding love with God, we're going to miss it. We're going to be dissatisfied. We're going to get restless. Matter of fact, we might digress back into that childlike state of emotionalism. We get so giddy about the new car, the new house, the new motorcycle, the, the, that singing group, going to concerts, eating this kind of food, become a foodie, become a travel you know, junkie. We look for things in the world to satisfy us. Now, that's not to say that God has not created things in the world that we can enjoy. But I think we have a problem and I remember growing up and, you know, you hear people say, oh, I just love, love, love that, that music group. Or I remember when Janice and I used to be in the car, she says, ooh, 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 and I think we we're going to be in a crash, you know. And she says, oh, I love that song. I love that song. Turn it up. Turn it up. Right. You know. And, and so we, we love and, and it's become a glib thing to use the word love for our attachment or our feeling about anything and everything. You say, well, what, come on, Bruce, what's wrong with that? Tone it down a little bit. You know, I say, oh, I love this. I, you know, I really don't love that more than God. Well, Satan is, is very tricky. He likes to just insert a word and, and kind of make it look fuzzy so that, that we kind of fall into the trap, right? So I try, 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 and I don't always succeed to not use the word love for anything, we're only commanded to love two things. What is it? God and what else? People. We should love God and we should love people, not anything else. And so just a little idea. Try it this week. OK, try it this week. If you say, oh, I love that. Replace it with I really like that. There's a difference, right? I mean, if you're going out with, with a, you know, somebody on a date, you know, you guys that are, you know, kind of middle-aged, now you're thinking, about, I want you to think about this, okay? Think about this. Because you get to that spot in your relationship with somebody, and it's like, it's like, 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 love! Okay? 
When was the first time you used love with your, your significant other? Right? And, and it, it, that's, God wants you to, to love your partner. He wants you to love your kids. He wants you to love your neighbor. As much as you love yourself. God wants you to love people and Him. But He doesn't want you to fall so deeply in love with things of this world and doing things the way the world does them that you start to have your affection move to someplace other than God. Okay? It, it sounds kind of subtle and kind of weird when we, when we roll it over, but it's, this is what John is trying to tell us. He says, he says, for, he says, for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now see, the lust of what we feel and see, um, it applies to both the flesh and the eyes. It simply means a, a very strong desire. That's what lust is. You ever been overcome with this desire for something? I know guys are especially susceptible to, to things with motors on them, you know? And you, you get your eye fixed on that motorcycle or that car, and then suddenly you've got a stack of brochures this high, right? And you feed your eyes with that thing. Now, we do that with advertising. That's what we do. Advertising is meant to tell you you need something that you really don't need. To get your eyes and your emotions involved in wanting this thing. To think that as soon as I possess that thing, then I will be satisfied. I will be happy. And John is saying, now, be careful. Number one, the lust of the eyes, the things that you see. Now, what does Jesus, Jesus say? He says, if your, if your eye offends you, if it causes you to do something that's wrong, what does he say? Pluck it out. You go, whoa, whoa. You know, that's so much for taking the Bible literally on certain things, you know. And it's like, hey, hand me the fork, you know. Um, no, what he's saying is, if you have control, don't go there. Don't look at it. I mean, don't, don't be that kind of person that just says, oh, I'm going to the mall. Well, what are you, oh, you going to buy? Oh, nothing, just looking. Just looking, right? I'm just window shopping. That's why they have all the sale, for sale signs in the windows, right? So you don't want to see those things. And, and, and for everybody, it's, it's different. You've got to know your limits, your capabilities to withstand and push back on those things that are tempting you through what you see, right? Or what you feel. It says lust of what we feel and what we see. There are just moments when suddenly you experience something. You feel it. And you go, wow, this feels great. You know, I, 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 I'm prone to kidney stones, all right? And uh, so they're pretty painful, and so I had one just recently and, and uh, went into the emergency and I'm, I'm just saying, oh, Lord, please, you know, give me some relief, right? So finally you get in after waiting 17 hours and then 
you're there and the doctor finally, you know, he, he drugs you up and he puts some stuff in there and he says, no, okay, now in a couple, in a little bit, you won't have any pain. And I'm telling you, there was one time he put this stuff and it was really powerful stuff. And he says, oh, you're going to feel this warm sensation just go over your body and then you'll feel no pain. And I told Janice, cause it, I, it was, it was so cool. Okay. I mean, because I was like in like, oh, just kill me and send me to heaven. And then it, it, the drugs hit. And I mean, it was just this warm sensation that washed over me. And in seconds, all the pain was gone. And I turned to Janice and I said, now I know why people take drugs. <laughs> Serious. It felt so good. Now, can you imagine somebody who's struggling with depression or anxiety or something really bad happens and they've had that feeling that just seems everything goes away? That's why people get addicted to all kinds of things. Because they've seen it or they've felt it. And so John is saying, be wary those kinds of experiences of seeing certain things or feeling certain things can be a terrible thing because it will it will move you into loving that instead of loving God. He says the next one is the boasting of what we have and do. Boasting is, is simply vainglory. Uh, it's just it's just so funny, especially to to see kind of young people, and I was one of them. You know, uh, if you finally get halfway good at something, you kind of expand the goodness in your in your sphere of influence to make yourself look a little bit better. Has anybody else beside me ever done that? You know, you just kind of embellish a little bit, and you go on and on. And the further away you get from the the event, the better you are, right? Um, this boasting, it's interesting, it says boasting of what you have and do. It can be possessions or it can be, you know, skill, ability, whatever it is. And what we do, it's very interesting here, is this is when we become convinced that we need to be recognized as someone special apart from God. Think about it for a second. I want to be recognized as someone special because I either possess something or I have this ability. I want to be no I want to be known for myself, my abilities, my talents, or that I am rich enough to have certain things, to do certain things. So we brag about how many vacations we've taken to France or something. Or we brag about that game that we scored the winning touchdown. Or we, you see what I'm saying? We try to draw attention to ourselves so we feel accepted by others. We're, we are admired by others. And yet, that's loving self a little too much, isn't it? And so John gives us a warning. He says, boasting of what we have and do. Notice in 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18 says, command those who are rich, who have a lot of capacity to do things and, and to have things, warn them not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us, get this, 
with everything for our enjoyment. God is not a killjoy. He doesn't want us to just, you know, okay, I can't have anything nice. I can't have any experiences that are fun. No, God provides these things. He created an amazing world. We were driving home last night, you know, uh, and, and one of the most beautiful sunsets. You know, and Janice is rolling down the window, taking out the camera. You know, let's get a picture of this. You know, because I want to remember how beautiful this is. Boy, the feeling when you look at that, you just go, thank you, Jesus. How beautiful the world is that you made. God wants us to enjoy these things. I mean, why did he give us taste buds? So we would love, not love, homemade ice cream, right? See there, I just met, okay, I got to strike that love homemade ice cream away, you know. I really, 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 really like homemade ice cream. See how, how it goes? We can get so enamored with things so quickly and so easily that those things and those experiences, what we see, what we feel, what we do, what we possess, starts to be our center of life. When God wants it to be just understanding how much you're loved by God. You're a child of the Father. And in His embrace, you have everything you will ever need. Okay? See, Satan's business is not so much scaring us to death as subtly persuading us through worldly philosophies and things that are available through our eyes and, and through our ears and through our bodies as we experience them and feel them to, to, to just say, you know, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. There's a guy, a um, musician, Steve Green, does a lot of big concerts and everything else. And uh, he has guys that work with him, and they're called riggers. And what they do is they set up the stages and stuff like this. And so they're usually working in these big auditoriums. It'd be like this, you know, but, but they, they have rigging way up high. And, and usually um, it's pretty precarious. It's pretty bad. Uh, and when they're up there, they're hanging lights and they're doing all kinds of stuff and hanging up, you know, musical things and wiring and everything. And what happens is it's very interesting. He says that that uh, some of the work crews in the large auditoriums where the concerts were held, these riggers, they walk on four inch rafter beams with sometimes a hundred feet or more between them and the concrete floor to hang their speakers and their spotlights and all those kind of things. He says, what bothers them not, is not so much being up there as when they are up there above what you call a false ceiling. They have to hang them on the rafters and stuff that, and the, the wires and the things have to go through a false ceiling. And what a false ceiling is, is, is just that. It, it's not hard. It, they're just like little, almost paper-like Pieces that go in little squares to make us what looks like a ceiling, but it's really very flimsy. He says it makes the people that are walking on those rafters, it, it, it kind of, I don't know, it, it uh, messes with their minds. Because it looks like if they fell, ah, it's only like two feet. Not going to get hurt, right? He says so they have a tendency to inadvertently become careless, and see, that's what Satan wants to do. He wants, wants to create a kind of a false ceiling and say, you know, if you fall, it's not a big deal. 
you know, God forgives you. And so we start to dabble and we start to get involved in things. And all of a sudden we have this fall and we fall and it's like it's a crash. Like we can't hardly feel like we're going to be recovering from it. But First John two seventeen says this, The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Now Jesus said, I want, I want you to teach these new people who are becoming disciples, becoming Christ followers, I want you to teach them to obey everything that I commanded you, right? And here, now John, one of his disciples, is teaching us. And he's teaching us something, a very important lesson. And that lesson is, is that there are all kinds of stages of maturity and growth in our relationship Christ with Christ. The goal is to get to the place to where you are so satisfied in your relationship with God because you love Him so much that you don't have need to replace Him with anything. Okay? And so and then he sets up the, the warnings. So today, remember, John gives us no hint that we shouldn't enjoy the things that God provides for us in this world, food, fun, all this kind of stuff, enjoy a good laugh, all that. But they're not God. They're not the thing that we strive for in our life. We appreciate them when, when they come, but we don't love them. We don't love them. We like them, we enjoy them, we appreciate them, all those good words. Let's focus on getting to the place where we love God more than anything and we love being accepted and loved by God so much so that we're willing to share that love with everybody. All right? Let's do that. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much that uh, we are here to hear your word. Um, thank you that, that it's necessary and it's helpful for us to know that that nothing else can replace a dynamic love relationship with you. Thank you so much that you love us as our Father, as our as the one who sacrificed your life for ours. That's the greatest kind of love, God. And uh, if we have to sacrifice certain things in this life to enhance our love with you, help us be so willing to do that because we know that it's only going to be for our good and for our witness of how much you love everyone, God. Help us to, to love you and love people as you command us to, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.